You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 27 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. Leah and I are excited to welcome member Hamandi back to the podcast and also to welcome Ruben Payan, a investigator in our Office of Railroad Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Investigations to the podcast for the first time. Um, and we also feel like we have a bit of a celebrity guest in the uh, audience today. We have Eric Strickland, who we call the the OG host the OG of host. the podcast. So glad to have Eric back in the room with us. Today we're going to be talking about Rail Safety Week because it is Rail Safety Week. And we have done a lot of investigations around rail safety and have recommendations connected to rail safety. So we felt it appropriate to have this podcast today. As we do, we're going to start off with having our guests uh, give a little bit of background on um, their experience. But Member Hamandi, this is the second time you've been with us on our Behind the Scenes with NTSB podcast. And if our listeners want to hear the breadth of your background, they can go and listen to episode 20. But today I'd like to ask you to kind of share a little bit about what got you so interested and passionate with rail safety. Uh, Well, for me, before I came to the board, I was a staff director uh, on the uh, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee for a subcommittee on railroads, pipelines, and hazardous materials. And we oversaw all rail safety legislation that went through the House. And really, my... um, I I became really active on the issues after NTSB had completed its investigation of the Graniteville, South Carolina accident. And around that time, we started um, probably the first major federal rail safety bill that had gone through Congress in about 13 years and uh, worked closely with a number of families uh, coming out of Graniteville and others on safety legislation. Mm -hmm. And Ruben, can you share with us your background and what brought you to the NTSB? All right, sure. Thanks for inviting me, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my career goes back to, to 22 years with, a, with the NTSB. Wow. I've been, most of them, with the Office of Rail, Pipeline, Hazardous Materials Investigations. I did a three-year stint with NTSB in the Vehicle Recorders Lab, doing uh, locomotive event recorders. Then I went back to rail, and I've been with them ever since. Uh, prior to, to NTSB, I was five years with the Federal Railroad Administration as a safety inspector, a, f- a field inspector. And before that, I was in college. So basically, my career has been in the government. Wow, that's great. So this week, like I said, is Rail Safety Week. And Member Hamandi, you have something planned in support of rail safety. Can you share a little bit about what you have laid out for your agenda this week? Yes, at the end of the week, I'm visiting Metra to um, get a briefing from them on where they are on PTC implementation. I've, I'll be spending the next year and a half or so visiting each of the 41 railroads required to implement PTC. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to visit Metra. Mm-hmm. I just visited uh, Metrolink and Altamont Corridor Express. And then later this week, I'll also be doing an event uh, with some various, various stakeholders focusing on grade crossing safety. Great. So the purpose of Rail Safety Week is to educate and empower the general public on ways to keep themselves safe as they're um, navigating highway railroad crossings and railroad right-of-ways. 
For those that aren't familiar with those terms, because I admit I'm not, I, I understand and know what um, highway rail grade crossing is, but I'm not even really sure railroad right of ways, uh, what that means. Uh, Ruben, can you just explain what, what those two areas are um, on, sure. on the tracks? Yeah, sure, sure. The, the, the right of way is, is basically everything that the railroad owns, uh, which includes the track and any property adjacent to the track. So any any access roads or 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 paths along next to the tracks that that usually railroad maintenance workers use to to access the tracks. That's the right of way. Okay. Uh, a grade crossing is basically any any pedestrian or highway crossing that that crosses lawfully the tracks. It could be a, a private crossing or a public crossing. It could be a a farm road or a, just a pedestrian sidewalk. Okay. And then I know that when it comes to highway uh, rail grade crossings, that there there are kind of different types. So there's what we would call passive and active crossings. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell us what the difference between those two are? Sure, sure. Uh, a passive grade crossing is basically a crossing that does not have any active warning devices, no flashing lights, no no bells or or, or any gates that that activate when a train is approaching. A pa- uh, that's a passive. An active grade crossing is one that's either equipped with, with uh, flashing lights or a combination of flashing lights and gates and bells. Okay. So it kind of, it would prevent a, a someone potentially from, or the hopes that it would prevent someone from driving across well, uh, when uh, a train I, is coming or walking in the, across. In the railroad industry, we never say prevent because it'd be nice if we could. Okay. It, 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 it provides warning. It okay. does not prevent, unfortunately, it does not prevent uh, people from... from from driving through the gates or around the gates. So, so we say it provides warning of an approaching train and then the, 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 the driver or the pedestrian has to adhere to the warning. Yeah, the only way to actually prevent a grade crossing accident is to get rid of the grade crossing. Okay. Mm. Yes. Which there is a grade crossing elimination program, but. And we were talking a little bit before we got started with the podcast, but how, approximately how many grade crossings are there around the country? From the FRA, the FRA is the one that, that, that keeps the Federal Railroad Administration is the one that keeps the numbers. But they, they're reporting 2018 is the latest year for the statistics, and it changes every year. But there's about 130,000, just a, a little over 130,000 uh, public grade crossings. And then there's another almost 80,000 private crossings. Okay. I know that's a, that's a large number. So obviously... This being a focus of Rail Safety Week, can you give us an idea of how big of a problem it is to have, whether it be pedestrians or, or drivers, kind of going around, I'm assuming? Um, I know trespassing is, is an issue, but how big of a problem is it with people who aren't kind of heeding those warnings or obeying kind of the the information that they're getting, whether it be from you know the signs that they're approaching or the lights and, and gates? Well, most of the rail accidents that occur are grade crossing accidents or trespasser incidents. And there are about a thousand trespasser incidents that are not at grade crossings a year. So it's a it's a big issue. So we're talking about trespassing and one thing that I've always been curious about is are trespassing fatalities uh, considered a pedestrian fatality on the rail, or are they their own set of data? Well, FRA keeps the data on trespassers, and that data is submitted by the railroads to FRA. Mm-hmm. 
and it's under the category of trespasser. Okay. Then they have separate reporting for great carousing incidents. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the railroad has a definition. You're either a, a, a trespasser. That means you're, you're on, a, on the railroad property that's not meant for uh, the public to be on, or you're a non-trespasser, which means you're, you're, you're on a great crossing lawfully there. So it's either trespassing or not non-trespasser. Okay. So it, I've had the opportunity to live in apartments near um, railroad tracks, you know, growing up and even as an adult. And I have unfortunately seen, you know, high school age, I'll say students kind of hopping back and forth and, you know, standing really close to the tracks when a train is coming by and some different things like that. Um, Trespassing is illegal, as we all know, but maybe the general public might not realize that. But what exactly is kind of that area around railroad tracks that is considered trespassing space or would be, you know, owned or property of um, of a company that you would want people to stay away from? So, so just just like the definition that we talked about earlier, the right of way is is uh, for the most part private property. The railroad owns it. And it'd be like, like, like me cutting across your backyard. I'd be trespassing. Uh, if it's not a lawful crossing where, 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 you're, where designated traffic is meant to cross the tracks, mm-hmm. then you're trespassing. Anywhere else that, that's not a crossing, you're trespassing on the railroad. I want to veer the conversation a little bit um, because uh, Rail Safety Week is uh, kind of put on by Operation Lifesaver. And I wanted to get a little background in terms of, of the organization, Operation Lifesaver, and how the NTSB had a role in developing that organization. Well, the NTSB had recommendations going back to the 1970s to uh, develop a national program to educate the public on the dangers of grade crossing. So... Uh, it really stems from those original recommendations and then grew across the states. And we've encouraged in other recommendations uh, state participation in the program. Mm-hmm. And has we, have we seen a pretty widespread participation across the country of Operation Lifesaver? Yeah, it's, I think it's been very successful. Every state has an um, Operation Lifesaver I, th- I think the right word is coordinator, but there is um, the the organization does exist in in every state, and then there's the national. Um, yeah, at one point program. I was a presenter too, but it was, that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Sure, I w- was learning um, that actually anybody that's interested through the Operation Lifesaver program, you can actually reach out to them. So if some of the things that we're talking about as far as, you know, helping people to understand how to kind of navigate railroad tracks and different things, you can actually contract contact the person in your state and they will come out and give presentations and, and do all kinds of things for you. Um, so definitely a great resource. And if anyone is curious who's listening wants to uh, learn more about Operation Lifesaver, they can go to oli.org. They also help provide, they will certify people to be presenters as well, and then provide videos and materials for uh, people to use when they give presentations at schools and other locations. Yes. Across the week, um, they have kind of a theme. They being Operation, Operation Lifesaver, Life sorry, has identified um, some focus areas for mm-hmm. every day of the week. And Leah, I don't know if you know what each of those days are. I know that today, well, it, the focus is on, I believe, distraction. Distracted driving, yep. Yeah. Yesterday, Sunday, was no photos on the tracks. 
Um, Tuesday is law enforcement partnerships. Wednesday is crossing safe, safely, safety, crossing safety, excuse me. Thursday transit is transit commuter safety and Friday is trespassing and train hopping prevention. And Saturday is trespass prevention in regards to bicycle safety. So there's a lot of different um, focus focuses that uh, OLI is shining the light on to improve safety. Reuben, we've investigated, like I think Member Hamidi mentioned um, a few minutes ago, quite a few rail grade crossing um, crashes, accidents. What are some of the recommendations that have come out of our investigations um, as it relates to improving safety at those locations? Um, we, we've made quite a few recommendations. NTSB uh, usually gets they happen more often than we can we can investigate. But the ones we have investigated are, are pretty 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 big accidents. Uh, we've recommended grade separation where where you actually build either either a road over the tracks or under the tracks. Uh, we've made recommendations regarding uh, interconnection and preemption where the traffic signals are tied into the actual grade crossing warning devices. Uh, some improvement improvements there. Uh, we've, we've made recommendations to OLI and other groups uh, to, to provide more education and, and, and canvas the, the, the neighborhoods where the accidents happen. And, and uh, of course, we, we've uh, made recommendations to, to the, the operators themselves, uh, the railroads and the either bus or truck companies. Sure. I know a, a couple of recent investigations that come to mind involve um, vehicles that got stuck on tracks, um, Biloxi is, is comes to mind, um, and then um, Oxnard, California, was a um, a driver who unfortunately ended up stuck on the tracks. Um, I'm just wondering what if if a driver finds themselves in in a position where they their vehicle might have gotten stuck on the tracks. What what should they do? What should be the first thing that they do? Well, the first thing is if if you know you're stuck, is is get out of your vehicle. Uh, if you know there's there's no way of getting unstuck before before any train comes because you don't know when the next train's coming. Mm -hmm. It's it's get out of your vehicle, and and don't sit in the vehicle on the tracks. Uh, after that, either either call nine one one or most great crossings have a blue sign, and and it, ha it has an eight hundred number that that dials right into the the railroad's dispatcher or the railroad's police department, mm -hmm. and has a, a a DOT or an AR number where you can report your vehicle on that crossing. And what that does is that that lets the the railroad stop any trains that are headed your way, hopefully before they get there. So so if 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 you can't find that blue sign, nine one one will definitely help. Okay, and I know that there are some people who, um, you know, I've seen it. I'm sure everybody has people who are kind of driving through quickly, trying to you know beat the gates coming yeah. down. Um, how how long or how, you know does it take for a train to stop if if someone has kind of gotten in their way like that and, and found themselves on the track? I mean, it's not a it's not a quick a quick stop for a train. No, not at all. But uh, before I answer that question, let me back up a little bit. When you see the the flashing lights activate at a grade crossing, mm -hmm. uh, federal requirements only only require twenty seconds of warning before the train. Is actually at the crossing. Oh my gosh! Uh, wow. Some some crossings provide a little bit more, but we're talking maybe 30, 30, 40 seconds. Wow! Which isn't a lot. So so as soon as you see that light flashing, you you got to start thinking the train's going to be on you pretty quick. Um, a train, an average train, uh, freight train traveling at 50, 55 miles an hour, takes about a mile, mile and a half to stop. 
so, so it can't stop on a dime. By the time it sees a car on the crossing, it's probably too late for the train to do anything. Wow. But there's also, I mean, there's also the issue of passive crossings where you don't have gates and lights. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, even if you did, there are areas that have quiet zones where they don't sound their horn. So relying on that, we always advise, don't rely on that. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to stop when you're told to stop and look. We have uh, recommended and advocated for the implementation of positive train control for many years. Does positive train control, would would positive train control stop a train if a car or a vehicle was uh, stopped on the tracks? No, it doesn't. What What I will say is there are some First, the railroad can see the, a grade crossing on their PT, or train can see a uh, grade crossing on their PTC screen. Mm-hmm. They can't see anything else. They can't see a car on it. They can't see a person on it. Um, and the system isn't designed to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same at the same time, some railroads are developing their PTC system to link with their grade crossing system to ensure that it triggers the gates and lights at a certain time. Uh, I know that in Colorado, they were having some issues with the timing of the, their gates. Mm-hmm. And the gates were down for a certain amount of time, and then people started going around the gates and then would get in trouble, and there would be an incident. And they are trying to uh, link two different sets of software to ensure that the gates do go down at a certain time, that mm-hmm. the lights are on, um, you know, so that it doesn't, it, that there's not an extended wait time for those that are sitting at the crossings, and then they're not tempted to go around the gates. Okay. But as far as stopping the train, mm-hmm. if there's something in the track, mm-hmm. no. Okay. Yeah, not not yet. Like like Member Hammondy said, um, it it's it's been talked about, but it hasn't been incorporated. Where the, right now, the railroads are busy putting the basic version of PTC just mm-hmm. to protect the 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 four four requirements that that PTC requires. Right. And Great Crossing is not addressed yet. There is a system though in Michigan between Kalamazoo and New Buffalo mm-hmm. uh, that, that put in an incremental train control system. It's a version of PTC, mm-hmm. and it's not really to detect cars, but it's, it's an, an advanced start for grade crossings where as the locomotive is going down at 110 miles an hour, it's talking to the crossings ahead of it to make sure that they're activated. Okay. And it doesn't detect uh, the presence of train of cars. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but it, it just makes sure that the it, it's like a health monitor. It, it, it talks to the crossing, the crossing talks back to the locomotive and says, yes, I'm, I'm activated. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if for some reason the, the Great Crossing does not activate, then the train has to slow down and use the traditional track oh, circuits. So okay. it has a fail-safe. But, so so it's, it's, it was a version of tying in the Great Crossings with the, with the PTC, but that's the only one right now that that's, does even the remote health monitoring. Sure. Maybe in the future. But for right now, I think the lesson is stay off the tracks unless you are safely crossing it in your vehicle as at as safe as speed as possible. Yes. Travel, travel. make sure that you can make it all the way across mm-hmm. without stopping. Mm-hmm. I and, actually, and, yeah, yeah, and I actually personally don't rely on the gates and the lights. I look first, <laughs> mm-hmm. but 
I mean, that's the most important thing you can do. I'm with you. I have a I have a crossing pretty close to my home, and it's very close to a stoplight. And it's amazing how many people, when you know, when the stoplight is activated, how many people will queue up right on the tracks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going over that until the green light has allowed me to safely cross. I, I work on great crossing, and I, I still check for trains. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I know what can go wrong. So yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, when I worked for NHTSA, I worked in school bus uh, safety, and one of the projects that I worked on was the school bus driver in-service safety program, safety training, excuse me. And we did have a module on rail grade safety or highway rail grade crossings. And um, what I thought was so interesting was that it was a very robust training for school bus operators. Um, and I just in talking about this, I'm wondering how... How often do school buses and or school children need to cross rail grades to get to either their bus stop or or get them safely to school? Is that a common thing? Do you see that a lot? Unfortunately, we have done accidents where, where school buses have been hit by trains. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it happens happens a, not I won't I don't want to say a lot, but it does happen where 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 buses have do have to cross railroad tracks. And, well, uh, and also kids going to school, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a pedestrian crossing. Mm-hmm. Right. I know and that. that's a big focus, I think, for Operation Lifesaver this week is where they're focused on the distraction side of it with people who are crossing with headphones on, right. looking at their phones. They're telling everybody, st- stop, look up, yep. you know, look, look at your environment, be aware, mm-hmm. listen. And, you know, take appropriate action. But I, there are children who are walking across grade crossings. Mm-hmm. And Safe Kids has a, a relatively new, new program. They have um, Safe Kids Worldwide is an injury prevention organization, and they have, um, have a focus now. Um, that's another great resource for, for, for parents and communities if their children are going to be um, interacting with grade crossings. They have a Clifford the Big Red Dog book mm-hmm. that helps um, have that mm-hmm. conversation with your children. So I know that they will be participating in the event that member Hominy will be at in on Friday. So um, great partner for us on other transportation safety issues and, and glad to have them kind of working on, on this important issue too. Ruben for, for families that might have students that are um, that are kind of required, I guess, is the, to cross a, a, a track um, in order to get to school or, or home. Um, what advice or some kind of safety tips do you have for them that they really should be talking to their to their children about? Well, the, the big one, like like Member Hominy said, the, the big problem is is trespassers. Uh, make sure that the parents teach their kids to use the the grade crossings. Only cross at designated points. Uh, don't climb under or or over. Uh, rail equipment because you never know when it's going to move and and uh, definitely don't don't just don't be near the tracks if you don't have to yeah remember how many do you have any no i just go back same thing but i would just add again you know we see a lot of kids with headphones on all the time looking at their phones and put them away stay aware of your surroundings i know we've had um i well one comes to mind but i think we've had more than one there was um uh, a community parade in which um, there was uh, some routing with a with a, a parade, and unfortunately, one of the floats that was in the parade did get stuck on the tracks. There was um, some miscommunication with 
the people planning um, in town and, and kind of letting the rail um, operator know that they were that they were um, going to be kind of parading over over that part of the tracks. But for for communities, as it relates, and I'm thinking of kind of school routing or children routing and different things like that, you know, communities all over have kind of parades for different times in the year. Do you have any advice for them as far as planning goes? Um, you know, is it I'm, I'm assuming it'd be really best if you could avoid having to have students or any of your parade routes or anything that would that would cause you to interact with a Yes, that that definitely be the the best if you can avoid crossing over railroad tracks, especially the parade. Uh, it, it it would it would it would be way safer. But but if if for some reason you do have to go or you, or you have to plan some some event over a railroad track, uh, coordinate with the railroad, local mm-hmm. railroad authorities, uh, notify them, or they have police railroad police that can help you, or or even a railroad representative that can either advise you to do it or not to do it, or or help you coordinate it. Sure. I knew we had an incident in 2015, and I was looking at some of our open recommendations around this particular issue. And one of the um, investigations that has some open recommendations is Jessup, Georgia, um, with a a movie production um, team who unfortunately was hit hit by a train doing some filming. Um, I know photography seems to be a really popular, you know, you see family photos of people on, on tracks. Um, Senior pictures. Yeah. So selfies. Is, I mean, if there are people who are in those type of professions that, that find themselves wanting to or needing to do that, is there a, a particular process that they really should be following um, to en- ensure that they're doing that as safely Find as possible? Find a different location. Right. <laughs> That's what I would say, honestly, because uh, the railroad isn't going to stop their trains for a photography session. And there are so many other safer places where you can do that. But it is a problem. I mean, I visited our... Alaska Regional Office and the Alaska Railroad has a section of track near an area where there's a lot of whale watching. Mm. And um, people were going under the fence and playing on the on the track. And it's, you know, they don't take it very seriously. They think you can, they'll know when something's coming around the corner. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's not the case. It's dangerous. And I, I do photography on the side. And I was very curious about what the internet might say about photography on railroad tracks. And I was encouraged to see that most of the sites that are, um, you know, when you Google railroad track photography, most of the websites say do not. It is trespassing. It is illegal. It is unsafe. Mm -hmm. It can have devastating results. But some of them actually offered some uh, alternatives. There are, you know, rails to trails program um, where old railroads have been converted Mm -hmm. into bike trails or walking trails. And they are beautiful and scenic. Some of them even have those old covered bridges that have been, you know, transformed. So if you're thinking about fall family photos and want to do something around, um, you know, something scenic, do not go to a railroad. Uh, Look for the rails to trails area. Look for, you know, and there are, you know, just lots of lots of other alternatives um, to get the look and feel for that. So while Rail Safety Week has some very specific um, focus areas that we've already discussed um, to reduce the um, the injuries and fatalities that are um, that we see on the rails, NTSB has a couple of other rail safety issues that are a priority um, for us and a certainly a, a significant focus area um, 
on our most wanted list. So we talked a little bit about PTC, but we also have medical fitness as a an area of concern for us as it relates to rail operations. I don't know who wants to <laughs> who wants to jump in on that one, but um, obstructive sleep apnea and fatigue um, are pr- are pretty significant problems that we continue to see uh, mm-hmm. through our investigations. I don't know if you have any any thoughts or want to share anything on that. I mean, I'd say fatigue is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, medical fitness is part of that. And we have recommendations on uh, screening, diagnosis, and treatment for sleep apnea. It was, there was a federal rulemaking process that was initiated by uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration for truck drivers and then the Federal Railroad Administration for rail workers. Uh, Unfortunately, that was pulled back. Um, So it's not a federal requirement for screening diagnosis and treatment for rail workers. Some we continue to advocate for uh, rulemaking on that. In the meantime, we're encouraging railroads to do it. And some railroads are, uh, others are not, unfortunately. Those who have been doing it have actually ident- have had some real successes where mm-hmm. they've been able to identify, you know, medical issues and people who have sleep, sleep apnea and get them treatment. Yeah, like how, remember how many said it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a problem on any industry that works 24 hours mm-hmm. around the clock. Mm-hmm. And railroading is definitely around the clock. And and uh, they've 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 done a lot of educating uh, a lot of education for their employees, but it goes beyond just educating the the employee himself. They're educating the family, so they 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 provide them with a lot of material to help them be able to get rest at home. Uh, after working all night, they go home and the family's there. You know they have to train the family to be able to allow him to sleep. Mm-hmm. So so they provide material to that and and uh, better 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 timing of their schedules uh, sure. instead of working them around the clock maybe try and schedule some times where predictable schedules. predictable scheduling mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. know where they when they're going to work every day kind of helps mm-hmm. so railroads are trying and and they they've got a long ways to go but they they are trying new stuff and but um I, there is a uh, a requirement in current law which i think FRA is working on um to implement safety management systems, which is something that we have been encouraging. And Mm -hmm. we've issued a number of recommendations for railroads to implement safety management. But part of the law says in implementing your safety management system Mm -hmm. to look at medical fitness and screening for sleep apnea. So that's part of a bigger program. Unfortunately, that rulemaking has been delayed six or seven times now. And uh, we're encouraging railroads, don't wait for the federal regulation. Mm-hmm. Amtrak's moved, moving forward. Other railroads like Metrolink has, has moved forward on safety management. And I think the, the goal for us is to um, focus on zero. We, there's far too many accidents, far mm-hmm. too many deaths and injuries, and um, take a more comprehensive approach to safety. Sure. I know a big message for us, too, is just helping to educate on the fact that things like obstructive sleep apnea are manageable and treatable conditions mm-hmm. that if if someone is diagnosed and then you know seeks treatment and then implements the treatment that they're recommended that it's not something that would prevent them from um, in most cases from continuing you know their job or, or the assignment that they have that um, that seems to always be a, a kind of a big thing for us is is just really making everyone aware that it is a treatable condition um, 
Well, and it's not just for the safety of their passengers, or it's also for their own safety and their quality of life. And quality of yeah. All right. Well, we are at the end of our episode. I want to thank Member Hominy and Ruben for joining us today. Um, and I want to thank our guests for tuning in again. Stephanie, do you have any final words? I do have a few final words. The statistics show that every four hours, someone is hit by a train. And so the focus of Rail Safety Week and our, um, our discussion today is to really, you know, talk about the things that we know that are contributing to that unfortunate statistic and ways that we know um, can can help to to prevent them from happening. So um, I know in the in the rail industry, it's the idea that if you see tracks, think train is a common um, mm-hmm. a common thought. And uh, as we've discussed today, trains cannot stop very quickly, and um, that we all have a responsibility to make sure that we're doing our part to make sure that we are obeying uh, the warnings and the signals that we're getting um, from the track to keep ourselves and loved ones safe. Great. Thanks. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye. Bye.